0: Hey everybody, this is Ted Wynn and on this episode of Perspective, we will be having a conversation with author and preacher Dante Stewart. He has a book entitled Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. Dante will talk about his experience um, just in life, but more specifically at a white evangelical church and how eye-opening it was for him. We'll talk about is Vows With Racism in Faith Spaces. You don't want to miss this conversation, all right? Check it out. Hey, everybody, this is Ted Wynn back with Perspective, and today I am super honored to have this conversation with author and preacher, <laughs> Dante Stewart. How are you, man?
1: Hey, I'm well, brother. I am doing well, doing well. Good,
0: good. So, um just to give everybody a little bit of context or backstory i um i love twitter twitter is my favorite social media app and um you 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 tweeted something a while back that i thought was really interesting and i started following you on twitter um um, unbeknownst to you (laughs) so
2: yeah uh,
0: yeah, after that um you tweeted something else and i liked it and then i you sent me a message and said hey i didn't know you were following me so we started to have a little bit of conversation um which made me like dig into more of your history and find out a a little bit about your story which i found really interesting and wanted to have you on to have this conversation about your experience uh as a black person in the white evangelical um church space um so tell us a little bit about um where you're from and Mm -hmm. uh how you got to be in that particular space
1: yeah, yeah. First of all, thank you so much uh for having me on. Uh your music is incredible. Your voice is incredible. So oh, thank you, man. Uh yo, didn't you do that can we talk challenge?
2: I was I like did, I saw that I did. I saw that joint. I was like, look at this
0: nigga. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Can I say nigga on you? I <laughs> don't use this. listen. That's a whole other episode. But I, okay. I I'll say this for people listening. I don't use the N-word. I don't let people refer to me as the N word, but I don't police okay. black people using Okay, the N-word. I want you know, you
1: know, uh my, my mama will always tell me she said the spirit is subject to the prophet, so make sure you honor the rules. <laughs> hey, make sure you honor the rules of the house. So so I'm in your house today, so I'm not gonna use it. But right, cool. uh so good, so good to be with you, brother. Um you. and man, like when 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 um when when I was younger, so I was raised Pentecostal, raised apostolic actually. Um from South One Carolina. Is- oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah we was uh oh my god you you, you going down in the name you going down in the name i, it, I was actually. i was i was down i was the type of apostolic that my mom and them yeah bro when i used to play football in high school uh she couldn't do this in college because i played at clemson so she couldn't get in on the field mm-hmm. but in high school she used to take the oil and walk around the field and anoint the field with oil bro <laughs> like and she was not the only she was not the only mama that did that one of my boys jabbo his mama miss connie she did that too and so they used to go around the field praying around the field uh, so i was raised that way i was raised apostolic in south carolina um and um was was am from the black rural south uh with my grandmother and my granddaddy um were, were, were very active in a very kind of local move in, in the local movements um uh, during the civil rights movement and you know both of them babies of the 30s uh, mm-hmm. came of age really in the 40s and the 50s and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and really, you know, solidify kind of their public voice and very local grassroots kind of uh, uh, organ- organizing uh, from there. And so on my daddy's side that's my mama's side. So on my daddy's side of the family. Uh, they're from Dillon, South Carolina. My granddaddy is a preacher. I was a Baptist preacher of two churches, uh, and so I come from a a family, you know, of activists and ministers. Sure. Um, and 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 so much like my mom and my daddy, both of them are babies of the seventies, and 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 the black art, black the, the the Black Power movement, the Black mm-hmm. Revolution. Yes. Uh, so there's this image of of my mother and my fa- father that I've written about in the past. Uh, my mother's in this blue dress, uh, and my father is in this black suit, bell mm-hmm. bottoms with like his chest out. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's holding my mama at her waist. Both yeah. of them got incredible afros. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, 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 oh, bro, I wish I had that. I'm trying to get my hands on the picture because I'm a frame. When I get the picture, I'm a and I'm, I'm putting in my office. Yeah. Um. And like my my family they collect. It's it's like our house is like a a, a archive of Black Southern life. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that's that really you know was was the way I raised. You know, very deeply immersed in church, mm-hmm. uh, very deeply immersed in Black history and. And, and black life and my mm-hmm. mom just loves reading so I mean if you just walk around my house you could find like Toni Morrison or yeah like Mar- Margaret Walker or <clears throat> Alice Walker yes um or, or around the house just like laying around like I yeah. would go home and literally still go home to this day and I ask for books but I, my mom, my mama don't let me get them so they're like classics. And I try and bring them back to the house. Cause yeah. I'd be like, all right, right, y'all, y'all, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know what this is. So it I'm right. like, I'll be trying to use that knowledge against them to be like, okay, y'all don't know that this is actually might be a first edition. So let me get, let me, let me bring this let book with me. To me. Uh, yeah, so like, that's the way I was raised, deeply immersed in black life. But then like, there's another story, another script underneath that. And it's mm. the script where so many of us here, you know, don't stay here because there's nothing here for you. Sure. And for, and for them, they mean it like, you know, go out and make something of yourself. But oftentimes Mm -hmm. those two stories of going out and making something of yourself, which means go out and be successful. There's nothing Mm -hmm. back here for you. That means that if you stay here at some point, you're either going to go to jail, you're going to be dead or you, you know, whatever, whatever, you're going to get lost to the streets and, and, and things like that. And so we hear this story. And so, so many of us, as I did, especially when we play sports, uh, end up going to white schools. So mm. being successful and making something of ourselves and it's and nothing here for us and leaving that means uh, being in closest proximity to white people. So mm. I was pretty good at football in high school. Um, and my idea wasn't going uh, to HBCUs. Um, mm. I was someone who was like, yo, let me, I, I wanna go to the UGAs. I wanna go to the South Carolina. Why, why
0: was that? Why wasn't why, why the HBCU like, an alternative for you. I wasn't, why was it a PWI? I
1: think, I think cause like so much of our kind of football heroes was at those schools. So I, yeah, think, okay. I think, I think, I think generationally for us, uh-huh. I think it's socially social, but also generational. So I think, because I think the generational gap in the sense of like, <clears throat> the further we move away from like mm-hmm. the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, the closer we move to black athletes at predominantly white schools and seceding. Sure. So like you 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 say like a Walter Payton who goes to HBCU, a uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Rice. I yeah. mean, people probably like, oh, like yo like like I <laughs> I can go there, and I think yeah. those. I think those ties are changing, especially with you know what Deion Sanders is doing yes, and what the young, yeah, with the young brother Travis Hunter, what that means. Yes. I, mean, I could talk about that all day. I love talking yes. about sports, uh, <laughs> and, and, and racing sports, like
0: uh, we would we'll def- have to have you back on to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> I can football. talk
1: about that all day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But then uh, I think I think I associated um, associated success with P- PWIs because of you know the 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 athletes that we we love and for me that was like Reggie Bush and and, and Ted Ginn Jr. and uh, Vince Young and just mm-hmm. all these all these incredible athletes during that moment mm-hmm. but it was also socially I think as well kind of woven into our community woven into mm-hmm. where I came from was mm-hmm. like yo like there was this it was the story like like going to the PWI is where you go to be like a doctor, you go to get your degree, sure. it's gonna give you things that black that, that HBCUs can't give you. And mm-hmm. on some level, there's the truth to that, but mm-hmm. there's not the whole truth. Mm-hmm. The, the truth is oftentimes what people believe to be lack of resources is oftentimes, you know, a, a misunderstanding of American history. Mm-hmm. That HBCUs, much like, you know, during the time of post reconstruction, Uh, Mm -hmm. Where you got the Freedmen's Bureau and the Freedmen's Bank, of which uh, Frederick Douglass was once a leader of. What happened was you had these white leaders come in and steal money. And all the times in the history of HBCUs, the reason why we believe there's a quote unquote lack of resources. Yes. I mean, that's debatable uh, uh, or or whatnot. But the reason why that is a story is often because you know, the ways in which like anti-black policies are written into and woven into the very framework of what people think about education, yes, especially education centered around black life, black literature, black art and culture. And so the way I ended up in white space was through football and then going to come to university.
0: Okay. So then that gives you this intro into, um, this white space, right? This world, so to speak. And so as we talk about, as I often do, um, I love to promote people's books. So this book, Shot in the Fire, an American Epistle, which y'all need to get if you don't have it. All right, in order from a black owned bookstore, uh, is a really interesting look at your experience in this space. So how did you get to your so at this point, you're at a white church in Augusta, Georgia, right well
1: well, at that at the beginning of the book it starts so the book starts home it starts back home Mm -hmm. and then it goes to clemson and then it goes to california and then to augusta Mm -hmm. so what what happened when i went to clemson is you know playing playing football there usually people who have closest proximity to us athletes yeah. especially if you're talking about like spiritually yeah. is uh fellowship of christian athletes yes. athletes in action campus crusade yes um who whatever kind of like ministry type of thing and and even like the churches like you yes. rarely if ever see like black churches and in, in, like connected to black athletes yes. oftentimes it's black athletes connected to large white mega churches of which you know, I was a part of. So like Mm -hmm. playing drums on the gospel choir in college, you know, during the off season, I played at a local black church in the morning, but you know, where I I went to go get fed was at the white church in the evening, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was like this disconnect of like, okay, this is where I play drums. This is where I perform. This -hmm. is where I see my friends, this is where I hang out. But Mm -hmm. in the evening, this is where I go to get my spiritual feeding and things like that. And so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's woven into like, you know, this kind of, it's woven into the experience that, you know, for us to be black in, in in white spaces, oftentimes what tends to happen, which will happen with me, is the further that we are immersed in white space. And this sociologists <clears throat> have done incredible studies on this. And I would tell people they should check out uh, the Pew, they, they Pew Research Center. They just mm-hmm. did a um, study on black religious life, particularly on. on uh, they had sections on young black people, oh, really? and they would say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I'll sh- I'll make sure I, I, I share it with you. Uh, they said, um, that the, the longer and the more young black people are immersed in white social spaces. And when I say white social space, I mean, any institution or social environment
2: mm-hmm. where
1: white people are in most of the power and has most of the decision-making authority.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: when we are thinking about banks, we're thinking mm-hmm. about, businesses, we're mm-hmm. thinking about churches, we're thinking about mm-hmm. schools, we're thinking yes. about small groups. Yes. Wherever white people are in decision-making authority and shape who is value, what vision and values are, are are tied to this community, what history is told in this community, what story is told and where this community or institution will go, yeah. that's white social space. And studies mm-hmm. suggest that the longer we black young people or black people in general, but particularly young black people, are involved and invested in white spaces, the more conservative we become, the more evangelical we become, and the more in some I would say they 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 said it very nicely. They say you know the more we distance ourselves from black people, but I would say the more anti black we become.
0: Uh, you um, know I think that's yeah. really a, 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 I'm glad they did that research right, and I yep. think that's true because I I often talk about uh, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I often talk about even the ways that we see represent and show up in, in black, uh, Christian spaces, oh, yes. like the conservative nature of so much, so much of what we do is really a reflection of whiteness, right? 100%. Because we don't really know the history of indigenous African religions. We don't know how ecumenical a lot of African people were and are at that particular mm-hmm. point in time. And so, you know, when you're stripped of your names and your culture and your religion mm. and your identity and you are given like my name, my, my legal name, everybody who knows this is Joseph. That's mm. not an African name. <laughs> mm. Like Ted is not a, like, let me tell you something. My name is mm. Joseph Wynn mm. Joseph Theodore. So wow. when people see that name and I show up, they're like, <laughs> they're not expecting to see me. Right. Yes. Ted Wynn is like one of the whitest names you could ever have. Both. So facts. when we think about our identity and our, our identity and how we understand ourselves and we think about these religious experiences and expressions I do think that it's important to understand how much of it was shaped and why we have the conservative nature that we do in so many of these you know these religious um spaces right I'll be, I oh, oh yeah <laughs> I just no no
1: facts no 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 facts and and yeah. and I mean there's a long history to this so I I'm yeah. even thinking about uh in in early america I, i'm even thinking I'm, I'm thinking about two particular moments in in in, a, in american history where this has been particularly true and i'm thinking in it was in 17 if i'm not mistaken it was 1790 or 1792 uh-huh. uh with in, in philadelphia uh where richard allen absalon jones and, and and many other black uh, the early in, in in early america what people would deem early america uh, they 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 were worshiping in white churches mm-hmm. um, and and in some sense they already in some. I think I, I have to go back to my books. Uh, <clears throat> there, there was the Free African Society. I don't know whether the Free African Society became came before uh, this various moment or after this very moment. But during this moment, the, the white churches in the Methodist church, they put those black people in the they put the black people in the balcony. And balconies, mm-hmm. literally balconies are testaments to segregation within the church. Sure. Balconies were only built so that white people can be down at the bottom mm-hmm. and the enslaved or, mm-hmm. you know, post slavery mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, uh, or whatnot, th- that black people would be in the balcony where fundamentally in this early in this early experience black people were always not just seen as second-class christians mm-hmm. but they were seen as second-class citizens as well sure. yes and so citizenship and christianity uh, from the beginning whether you're mm-hmm. going back and, and you're talking about um the early missionary movements in the 16th and 17th century that this mm-hmm. was always predicated on white people's idea of God's divine mission, given particularly to them to save and to control the world. So we see this through line all the way back from colonialism all the way Mm -hmm. to today, where those who are the babies of these these white Christian movements oftentimes are the same people who, to to use the the popular lingo, that like uh, our rhythm but don't like our blues. Yes, sir. They they yes, they they like to be around us, but they don't mm-hmm. like to suffer with us. They yes. they like they, they they like our blackness, but they don't like the burden. Yeah. So they 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 want us to. They like the aesthetics, you know, yes. and things oh, like yeah. that. They they you, you I don't know if you've seen that video. Um, <clears throat> this might be going off on a tangent, uh, but I don't know if you've seen that video of the uh that that college. It got shared. It, it like went viral of that white college, the white apostolic college where they were singing like gospel music and it was like a place break or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like in the Midwest. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. the, um, what's the white Pentecostal denomination? The uh, UPCI, so the uh, uh, the UPCI, United Pentecostal Church I think that's what it's called. Yeah, UPC, yeah. And there was this video uh, uh, um, of the UPCI, like whatever their college was and uh, it was a majority white choir, gigantic choir singing gospel music Mm -hmm. and they sounded like us, like, like they sounded yeah. like gospel, they they sounded black, you know, but yeah. then if one does a like history of the UPCI, one would realize that UPCI to this day still is fundamentally shaped by white supremacy, that of they course. know how to sing and to shout uh, and things yeah. like that. And they have taken from us, but they, yeah. they still oftentimes in very many ways do not love us. And so in this early America, you see uh, that white supremacy instead of the gospel, instead of the mm-hmm. liberating and loving message of Jesus was sure. the value system. And even in the civil rights movement, white mm-hmm. supremacy was the value system. And then all the way, you know, to, to the 1970s, which is like my yes. area of study, like in the yeah. 1970s, you you have this movement of this, this cultural, aesthetic, uh, artistic movement where black people, where gay people, where women, where uh uh where where, where those who were asian, uh those who were were hispanic. Uh they started saying, you know what? Like like we are actually we are worth studying. We are worth mm-hmm. centering. So you have this movement mm-hmm. of black liberation theology. You have this feminist movement. You have Stonewall and beyond. And so you have all these movements in American cultural life. But then oftentimes what tends to happen is that whatever, whenever the marginalized, whatever marginalization happens in society and in the church, whenever the marginalized actually want to do as Archie of Lord say wants to break the silence uh, uh, and, and wants to actually say that like we are human, oftentimes mm-hmm. those who are white, conservative, Christian, straight and male oftentimes become violent and really want to shut down and quell those movements. And we see that happening today and it's just been a through line for all of our experiences at some point if we're black in that space we're going to come in contact with this type of christianity
0: i think that's very true and i think that i mean to your point like white supremacy has shaped so much of what we do and think and and see and what we feel is valuable and what we feel is acceptable and you talk about like the the areas of appropriation that we see and we talk about many times of these things that are taken from us and then represented as if, you know, it's a white thing and, and not given black folks, not given credit for it. So as you move, as we move through the the book and you get to this church, I want to, I want to switch to that and have that conversation about um, how you got there. So how did you end up at this particular uh, white evangelical church?
1: yeah so what what happened is a terrible story actually and and like i was very (laughs) not for i'm i'm being dead honest like i was very terrible back then i was a terrible human you would not have want to be around me back then i was this uh oh uh oh bro i was this um Give me one. Okay, good. They. I just had something delivered to the house, and I was just making sure that he didn't <laughs> ring. I didn't. I was hoping he did not ring the doorbell because my doorbell is very loud. <laughs> but uh, I, because I, I was, I was somebody, you know, back then when I think about myself from like twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, during these moments, man, I was somebody who was really, you know, trying to find myself. I didn't know yeah. who I was. And you know, whenever we struggle with like that, that, that kind of lack or journey of trying to find ourselves, oftentimes it gets filled with things. We, we often, it gets filled with things that oftentimes does not mean us good. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes because white people celebrated my charisma. And my ability to preach, and my ability to speak, or my ability to perform, and my ability to pre- play—often uh, mm-hmm. uh, times that space felt more affirming than mm-hmm. the spaces that I came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think we do need to talk about this as well as as, as people, particularly in, in in black spaces, is that oftentimes you know many young black people go into these white spaces. Um, they first enter not simply because they they love white people so much, mm-hmm. but because oftentimes these spaces create space where black spaces did not. Sure. Uh, and, and 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 in some sense, when when you're young and you gifted yeah. and you want to do things, there's really not much space, quote unquote, for you. Uh, and young, some gifted, and black. Of, oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I got, I literally like literally bro like on my desk I got this Laverne Hansberry joint and it's literally. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. you know,
1: getting in black, uh, yes. and so and so. Oftentimes, some <clears throat> of us go into that space because we we want to feel affirmed. Some of us go into that mm-hmm. space because uh, we we feel devalued or or, or, or disrespected and just want to get distance as far as mm-hmm. we possible from black space. But some of us yeah. go there just because. And so, for me, I was not the person who just went there just because. I mm-hmm. went there because over time from Clemson all the way up until uh, going us getting stationed in Augusta, Georgia. And I saw you in the military. My wife is uh, uh, is uh, Air Force. She's in the Air Force now um, mm-hmm. and have been in for a minute. So we got stationed in Augusta, Georgia. And I the only churches I decided to that were worth our presence were white churches. Mm-hmm. So when I got in Augusta, Georgia, I didn't even look for black churches. I didn't even look for that. I was, I was sold on like, Hey, Southern Baptist churches were the right churches for us to go to.
2: Um, mm.
1: and oftentimes I'm even still trying to make sense of why I chose those spaces. It definitely probably was because of my social networks who I was connected to. I was connected to white people, white Christians who were, I had an affinity for Southern Baptist folk. And Mm -hmm. so, who who had a particular way that they wanted to practice their faith and and the faith that they invited me into, and so oftentimes like the people who were connected to usually determine where we go, and Mm -hmm. so like they was like when I asked for churches, their suggestion was you should try this church. My wife, Mm. she was not having it. She was what like like (laughs) jazz, bruh, bruh, like. I swear bro like there were so many times where like when I think about back then there was so many times where like I put us through things that we never should have been through and that was yep. just simply because I wanted to make it in this white space because mm. it was a space opened up for me and I wanted to make it in a space and I write in my book that oftentimes I love white people more than I love my black wife and mm. that's not a statement that's just that's just like oh it sounds good like no legit like sure like there were so many times because I, it, it, there were so many times where things happened, where I did things because I did not want to lose what I felt was like affirmation, what I felt mm-hmm. like was celebration, what I felt like was success and mm-hmm. acclaim that I was receiving from white people. There were so many times I, I put us in positions and in situations that we never should have been in that chose white people more than jazz. Um, and I, and I, and I write about this in very, viscerally honest ways in the book and i think you know going because there, it was emotional for
0: you yeah yeah it was yeah, emotional for you you talk about crying at some point right yeah 100 um, yeah so i i think that's um that's i mean i think i want to sit there for one second because that's a really powerful moment i think in terms of how some of us seek the approval and affirmation of white people in whiteness and how we think that's more valuable um than existing in our own spaces and appreciating ourselves as we show up i I think about it because we we, and i see it in subtle ways you know when we talk Mm -hmm. about what success looks like and when we talk about you know, how people should dress and how people should wear their mm. hair and all these kind of respectability politics things that come into play when we're having these conversations about how we exist in the world. I think about like, <clears throat> I don't have hair now, uh, but years ago I had locked before I started doing music professionally and I worked at the third largest interior design firm in DC and mm. I started growing my hair before I got hired. So it was short, like little mm. twists, but it obviously grew longer and longer and mm. people would always be surprised and they would say like, you work in corporate America? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And Mm. I don't, and and one of the reasons that I locked my hair was as a statement, as a, as a statement about appreciating the, the, the beauty and the natural texture of my hair the way my hair naturally grows that it's a good thing right that that's the way i'm created and is i don't need to you know to cut it i'm not saying people can't cut their hair (laughs) do what you choose but the ways in which black expression um and black aesthetics are demonized is a horrible thing and that's something we have to get Mm -hmm. past i mean I don't want to have a hair conversation but even when we talk about people say you know good hair and bad hair and these other facts. phrases that terms facts. that people use like there's no bad hair like no, your hair is just what it is you know and we have to be begin to continue i should say to have these conversations around um mm-hmm. who we are and how we are and embrace that and and accept the the way that we are created and, and, and affirm that in many ways so i do understand that mm. you're you're thinking like let me if i can if i can be successful if i if i'm going to be successful in a macro kind of way then it needs to be over here with white folks
1: oh right? facts um, yeah facts
0: because there is like black success but if you want like real success yes. you know what i'm saying Yes. then you got to yes. get white people on board you know and, yeah, I, and facts. I and i think that's what some of us many of us <laughs> you know think so yeah. When and that's what and that's really. what.
1: Yeah, that's really what we struggle with. We struggle yeah. with this joint. And, and like, what's crazy is like, <clears throat> what's crazy is the ways in which religion gives that reality its power. Mm-hmm. Uh, because oftentimes we wrap this kind of idea of what's good, what's bad, what's successful, what's not, what's yeah. blessed, what's not. You know, we wrap it up in language of faith. We wrap it up in God's blessing. We wrap it up in, you know, blackness is darkness and yes. bad and sinful, yes. um, and and whiteness is pure and holy. You know, it one may say it's subtle, but in in a very real way, it's often not subtle. That that I'm I'm thinking also of this 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 essay that I re- read in uh, uh for research in class on uh Toni Morrison's Beloved, yeah. uh, and and the ways in which. I mean we we could say in beloved but also in in the bluest eye
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, particularly of this idea of of being like them of mm-hmm. that is like like they are the ones that we should be like And, and m sean copeland theologian uh she's a brilliant catholic theologian she writes this mm-hmm. essay uh on, on in flesh and love a a, a theological reading of tony morrison's beloved mm-hmm. and she talks about this long history of the problematic ways christianity in particular but like religion in general but Christianity <laughs> in particular mm-hmm. has always struggled to embrace the fullness of what she calls black flesh uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's consist of our bodies, but that's mm-hmm. also consistent of what we embody, how we mm-hmm. show up in the world mm-hmm. that oftentimes, you know, with the ways people read the Bible and the value system that people brought to the world it's like, you know, whiteness is pure, but blackness is problematic. Yeah. And when you go through <laughs> centuries and centuries and centuries of that socialization, but even mm-hmm that discipleship, we need to mm-hmm. call it that because yes. it's not just like in the social world, it's discipleship. <laughs> right. Yes. When we go through years and years and years of like, okay, these are the books you should be reading. And yeah. those books are talking about spiritual matters, but they do not take into account the reality of your lived experience and the body that you live in, Yes. then in some sense, you're gonna believe that your body does not matter to God. Yes. And what we need continually mm is people who create art, who create love, who create music, who Mm -hmm. create uh, like uh, uh, business ventures, who create Mm -hmm. institutions Mm -hmm. that affirm the beauty, the sacredness of black art and black life and black Mm -hmm. beauty. Mm -hmm. And until people, you know, until we as as, as people collectively continue to be immersed in that type of world, Mm -hmm. then we're consistently gonna always be having to remind ourselves and our children of like, oh, Like, nah, that's actually anti-black. And we should be reminding each other, but I want to live in a world where the norm is, this is black, this is beautiful. And -hmm. this is what we created. And we need to like sit with this. And like for Mm -hmm. me, when I left the white church, (laughs) bro, when I left the white church, I didn't, I didn't just leave the people like, bro. I had to leave everything behind. Like I left the theology. Like, I don't know when the last time I read a book by a white person since like 2017, okay,
0: wait, but before you go to that, let's go back up. So, so let's, let's talk about that experience. Right. Cause I want people to yeah. understand exactly yeah. what happened to you. So we have, we can start around. So, so, so did you start to see these, see these people for who they were, uh, when when Trump announced, or after he was elected, or during the campaign, or yeah. what? At what yeah. point did you start to see yeah. uh, what was happening around?
1: Yeah, there? it it was really a slow process. So so like. And that's the thing about the story is like, this story is not like a heroic journey. Like, okay, I was this black dude that was in white space, white people acted up. Then I, then I became a, a, a black, a black radical. And then that was all you right. know, my, 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 my understanding, my growth, my maturity was progressive.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean, I didn't immediately leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it wasn't just simply, you know, my smarts that made me do it. Like yeah. the reason why we left. And I'll tell the story of how we left, but the reason why we left really was because of my wife and because of my friend, uh, my friend Michaela. So, mm. Philando Castillo is murdered. Uh, no, Alton Sterling is murdered first, and yeah. then Philando Castillo is murdered. I am in this church. I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm leading. I am the black conservative dude. I mean, I'm giving, I'm not just giving white people ammunition, but I'm giving them power. Like, I was mm. the black dude that was in white spaces when Mike Brown and the Charleston massacre happened, ashamedly so, I was the black dude who went on a diatribe that black people should not be in the streets. Like the gospel mm-hmm. matters most. Like I was that black dude that was like, yo, like I wrote like, okay, we need to be unified uh, and we're Christian before we're black. Um, mm-hmm. so I was that guy. And so sure. I was literally immersed in that reality.
0: I'm glad I didn't see so, that.
1: <laughs> oh man, bro, I'm telling you, bro, what I told you earlier, we dead. We probably would not be friends, like legit. No, we like, wouldn't. Like we would not be friends. Like you would call me an arrogant little dude who need to grow up. Uh, yeah, and I was. I probably I was said that.
0: some other words, but yeah. Yeah, you probably. Yeah, yeah, you probably <laughs> said some other words.
1: Uh, but I was that guy, and then and then Alton Sterling is murdered, Philando Castillo yeah. is murdered, mm-hmm. and those two murders, of which many of us view live, uh, or very near live. Mm-hmm. Um, it shook me in ways that 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 did it, that did I don't think I've ever been shaken before. Trayvon Martin, of which I write about in the book, was murdered when I was in college. Mm-hmm. But because I was so afraid to lose my position as a walk-on who got put on scholarship, I did not in, uh, engage in solidarity with Trayvon that my teammates did. They took a picture with black hoodies and I didn't do it because I was like, yo, I need to go to study hall. But I was lying and really what I was doing was like, I couldn't identify I, I could I'm black. I thought I, I knew I was black, but I wasn't that type of black person. So there was still mm. a distance that I had. And so when Philando Castile mm. and Arthur Sterling is murdered, um, it was almost as if like I couldn't run anymore. Mm. There was ways that I ran from Trayvon Martin. There was ways that I ran from Walter Scott. There was ways that I ran from the Charleston Massacre. And the white theology that I was believing and reading and immersing myself in gave me, it was like a silo. It protected me against that. It kept me away from it. It kept me Mm -hmm. spiritualizing our deaths, like the gospel Mm -hmm. matter most. And the most Mm -hmm. important thing is the gospel, preaching the gospel Mm -hmm. uh, or or whatnot. And so when they were murdered, it kind of shook. It rattled me in some legit ways. Yeah. Um, And then Trump is on the trail, bro. I'm in a white Southern Baptist church, and it is literally causing risks within our church. Other black people were there with me. Um, and, and I was, I was friends with the other black people there with me and they were, I mean, really, they were really many other reasons why I changed as well. My friend Nefertiti, uh, who was much brighter than I was, especially Mm -hmm. during that moment, still to this moment. And (laughs) it was really her checking me and giving me things to read and and she better
0: name Nefertiti.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. She changed, she changed her name as well. She changed, she changed her name as well. Uh, or, or, or whatnot. Uh, and so we were all in that in in that environment and then they had me lead a group on on racial reconciliation i led the racial reconciliation group Mm -hmm. and so as trump is being elected he's on the campaign trail i mean these white people are showing i i can curse right (laughs)
2: sure you sure okay i
1: mean i mean these white people are showing their ass i mean they are showing their absolute tails i mean There's a different, when I was in college, I was around white people. but yeah. When I went into the white church, I live with white people and mm-hmm. that's a, you, you see a totally different type of whiteness when mm-hmm. you live with white people, mm-hmm. they, they take like, whatever is considered the mask of whiteness, that mm-hmm. joint come off when you yeah. go inside their churches and you there for longer than a year. Yeah. You because you,
0: you, you yeah. are, you are considered in those spaces, an acceptable Negro. Right? Oh, one hundred percent. And so, when you have the Trayvon Martins and Alvin Sterling and the Philando Castiles and all these murders happening, and you don't speak out and you're not facts. seen as aligning with them, then they look at you like, "Oh, yeah, he under- he's he's not one of he's not them." Oh, right? he's not. Yeah, because not those one one people, yep. a lot of those people feel like, "Well, those people deserved it on some level, right?" And that's why these mm-hmm. media narratives oh, come into play. So, you know, when a black person is, is murdered by police the first thing you do is uh, well this person you know had a troubled past and a checkered Facts. past and they, they were Facts. arrested like which has absolutely nothing to do with the, what happened, Facts. right and so they Facts. they the, the thing is to malign their character right Facts. to devalue them as a human being and 100%. then that breeds in the minds of people ah, well uh, he he wasn't like uh, he wasn't the, the same type of human or deserving of the same type of uh humanity that i am deserving of and so he on some level or she on some level deserved what happened to them and then that reduces what the kind of outrage that we should see and hear when people are murdered uh by the state
1: oh 100 bro and and so i i have this chapter rage where where i literally talk about this i write you know what radicalized you was the question that ran across my feed i saw that question took a long pause uh, and and then I talk about how like Baldwin and Jesus, I thought about the ways that Baldwin and Jesus shaped how I thought about life, the, my, my black body, the world, mm-hmm. the country. When I wrote it, my mind replayed passages. I read of each their profound concern for love and liberation. Mm-hmm. Only thing is that was a lie. It wasn't Jesus nor James Baldwin who radicalized me. It mm-hmm. was white people, apathetic mm-hmm. white people. And this is what happened mm-hmm. is when <coughs> Alton was murdered, when Philando was murdered, When Trump was elected, when I'm leading this group and when other black people are sharing their pain and and, and like I am literally being like emotionally and psychologically tugged Mm -hmm. in so many of these directions. Because on the one hand, I have become a weapon to white for white people against Mm -hmm. other black people. Yes. Like you're not like them. Y'all should be more like Dante. Yes. And, and, And Dante should be more like Kevin. Who was like the uber conservative black dude in 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 that church and still to this day mm-hmm. uh or, or, or whatnot you should be more like kevin and so as i'm leading this group of white people i'm like like ain't like no that this is not right like whatever john piper is writing in this book this just yeah. don't feel good This right. don't feel right and so right. this actually set me on a journey of like trying to know and i'll never forget bro um i i'll never forget when when i was leading this this group i would go to the leadership exclusively white leadership and we would complain about white people like yo like the things they're saying the things that they're doing the things that they're posting on facebook mm-hmm. uh the things like it it was getting it was getting ugly and mm-hmm. uh, and consistently over time again and again and again the white leadership was like you know be patient with them like you know they're just not really understanding you know like like they, 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 they don't know any better and thing mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, and, and, and it just kept happening where the leadership, because of their apathy and even their hostility, cause I never, I was supposed to go on staff at this church, wrong paid staff and the leadership, the pastor, we had a, we had a um a a, a, I didn't even write about this in the book. Cause I ain't, I, I was going to go ham on them, but I ain't really want to. Like it really wasn't about him. The book was really about us, like about black folk. Sure. But there's a story that I didn't tell in the book that I might tell in the future. Literally, he he takes me out to lunch and tells me, like, yo, you know, hey, something came up financially with the church, and we're not going to be able to bring you on staff. Like, mm-hmm. literally. Sure. Something financially came up, something with whatever. And in that same meeting we had, like, and this was weeks after, like, we're talking with one another at Metro Diner. And, like, that one time, that last time where I went off on of him, I'm like, yo, like, Like I literally went off on him. Like I almost, I was this close to cursing the pastor out. Like, and and sometimes, sometimes I wish I would have cursed him out and said like F you and walked off like, because of the way like, like that's just how disrespected, like I felt with Mm -hmm. him wanting me to teach them, give, 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 give and him not want to ever do anything. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I should have just like walked off and cursed him out Like mm-hmm. and, and just left it at that. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know why we black folk don't do that. Like, I think we should do that more with white people. <laughs> like I'm being honest, like, like, like I'm being dead serious. Like why we gotta leave, why we gotta, like, for real, like, think about this, bro. Like, like, think about this. Like, why we got to be the ones who who walk away from white people just doing, treating us any type of way. Mm. And we, and we just walk away from them and say, okay, lo- the Lord will handle it. The Lord will handle it. Like, no. Like, Well, I no. think
0: that that's, uh, you sound <laughs> a little bit like, like, like Brother Malcolm. But I do think, I do think, <laughs> <laughs> I do, I think there's a way to, to, to balance that. I do think yeah, that. Yeah, I, um, I feel it that that we that we are able to we should be able to have honest conversations with them right about where we are what we're feeling um and what's going on now there will be people who will try to understand who are really trying to listen and learn um but i say that this is a this is is a strong statement i will preface this by saying that um i do believe that most white people in america (laughs) pause because I, I know people are gonna go, what he just say? I do believe that most white people in America are racist or complicit.
1: Oh, facts! I I,
0: so I, I go are, even further. Are. I
1: go even further than that.
0: Well, what I, I say that because I have a song. I have a song, um, <clears throat> I have a song um, on my social justice album called "What Kind of White Man Are You," and mm. it, it's not, you know indicting all white people right it really is a question for them to ask and be introspective facts. because facts. you are either racist you mm-hmm. complicit or anti-racist Facts. those are the only three places you can be right yeah, and so even if you are saying well i'm not a racist i don't call people the n-word i don't do this i love all people i have black friends yeah, that's facts. cool that might be that might be the case but you're if you're not speaking up against it If you're not anti-racist, then you are complicit in the racism that harms black people, whether that be in faith spaces, whether that be in banking and medicine. It doesn't matter where it is because it's pervasive. It's everywhere. And you have to be somebody who is vocal about it. And so I do think it's fair that we have those conversations and critique um, people who are not anti-racist. And to the point that you're making about being in this space where this pastor is asking you to kind of, you know, chill and understand, like, he's not being anti-racist in that space. Right? Yeah. No facts. Fact. Right. Yeah, he's being actually abusive. being hostile. Yeah, he, being and he, hostile. Yes. Yeah. And because he you in that, endure. Yeah, trauma, mm-hmm. and degradation and in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
1: And in the name yeah. of Jesus, like, 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 and that's the thing. Like, yeah, I, no. that, this is why theology, <laughs> like, this is really one of the reasons why I love, like, like, I'm, I'm, like, one of the re- reasons, like, I feel like you know, I, I embrace, you know, that title of doing theological work, theologian, like, I, I embrace that because, like. I, I am trying to do the work like those who sit on my shoulder, James Cone and Katie Cannon, you mm-hmm. know, the father of Black Liberation Theology and, yes, yes, and, yes, and, yes. and the mother of womanist <laughs> theology. Yes. Because they wanted to say they wanted to say, like, yo, like, like so much of white supremacy and the ways in which white people are complicit and the ways in which black people are complicit and are anti-black as well, mm-hmm. is oftentimes mm-hmm. uh what, what what Baldwin says where he says that oftentimes that uh <clears throat> is, is is around our concept of Jesus. Baldwin, mm-hmm. man, this thing, this thing, bless me, bruh. Uh, Baldwin has this essay in nobody knows my name and Baldwin, it is,
0: Baldwin she, doesn't get enough credit. Let me tell you.
1: Oof. Oh my goodness. Like, like, like he has <laughs> this, he has this, uh, essay in, uh, nobody knows my name entitled mm. in search of a majority. And I think mm. about like what, what Baldwin shared in this, that he says that I suggest that the role of the Negro in American life has mm-hmm. something to do with our concept of what God is. And from mm-hmm. my point of view, That concept is not big enough and oftentimes what Baldwin is getting at is this, in, in the context of this uh, of this of, of of this essay it's like this larger like in search of a majority oftentimes like like the majority like white people we like we we, we yes. kind of assimilate to whiteness and oftentimes <laughs> like our theologies that so much of white supremacy and anti-blackness is about the theology and the concept of god that we embrace let me let, what, let me let me, me park
0: right here and, and turn make a, a little turn again this might get me in some trouble, but I'm a big boy. I can handle it. This is also seen. Um, I know my producer is about to go ham. This is this is also seen in these conversations that we're having right now around yes. music, mm. around praise and worship, yeah, around this kind of ways in which black people, black gospel artists are doing music. And I right. said years ago um, that all iterations of gospel music are great, whatever, however you want to, whatever music, I don't care, whatever you're doing. The challenge is when we don't see that moving away from the traditional expressions and narratives of gospel music is racist because Mm -hmm. it is a Mm -hmm. way to erase our stories and our creative expressions. Like I was in the car one day And I was listening to I turned on the fish, which is like a Christian music station, mm-hmm. and it was a song worship song about, you know, the hills and the mountains and the trees and it was cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I was like, cool. And then I flipped to the gospel station and the guy was like, when I was down to my last dime, huh? step right in on time without, and, and I just burst out laughing in the, in the car, because that's our lived experience. That's the, mm-hmm. that's real, not for a few black people, but for most black folks. That we have lived in this space. And I don't want to, and it's not a means of celebrating struggle, but it is a mm-hmm. means of rep, of showing how we understand God in every iteration of our facts. lives. So whether facts. it's in our struggle or our triumphs or our death or birth or whatever it is, like we've seen God in so many ways. And I think it's so important that we don't lose the way that we tell our stories about who God is to us because oh, the facts. ways in which God has <clears throat> showing up for black folks historically in this country is different than he's shown up for other people, right? In terms of oh, how facts. we understand that. And so I think to your point about how we talk about these things and these narratives and, and even what but Baldwin is suggesting uh, is that we, we have to expand the narrative and make sure oh, that facts. we continue to talk about God in a way that represents us. So I'm not telling oh, folks not yes. to do worship music. I'm not demonizing that. What I am saying is that I've seen conversations saying that worship music is more pure and it's more, you know, holy, but I'm like, that's because you guys are assimilating to whiteness and you Mm -hmm. don't even understand what it is that you are doing. So we cannot Mm -hmm. move away from, lose the way that we tell our stories about what has happened to us.
1: Yeah. Facts. And and that's, and that's really, you know, what gives white supremacy and anti-blackness is power. It's erasure. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Because
1: if I don't see myself uh, if I don't, if others don't see me, mm-hmm. then we will start to believe that I have nothing to offer. Yes, I I'll never forget James Cone, uh, uh who passed away who passed away in two thousand eighteen. Father mm-hmm. Black Liberation Theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells the story in his book, um, in his two thousand and his 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 last his final book said I wasn't going to tell nobody where he says, uh, that 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 he was looking out at the Detroit riots. I think the year was 1967, 68, 69. One of those. One of those. Mm -hmm. 68 sounds right. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was looking out at the the news of the Detroit riots, and he was preaching uh, and, and and teaching at Adrian college doing theology. He's in systematic theology. His PhD is in theology, systematic theology, just like Martin Luther King, literally Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King's PhD is in systematic theology, (laughs) right? Which kind of blows my mind continually as I think about that, uh, (laughs) whatnot. And cone is teaching these majority white students and he sees what's going on in Detroit. And he has this awakening where he says that what happened to him is he had to Uh, He he felt that he had to do theology. He had to change to do theology in a way that was accountable to God and Mm -hmm. the lived experiences and struggles of black people. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what tended to happen was he was present in the white academy, but black Mm -hmm. life was erased Mm
2: -hmm. from the way they
1: did theology. Mm -hmm. We are present in the way that people do worship. Yes. But we are erased in the way that people think about God yes we are present in the way that people think about mission yes but we are erased when people think about salvation and liberation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we are present when people think about you know being inclusive and 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 coming together and talking about unity Mm -hmm. but we are erased when people start talking about policies and justice
2: yeah and
1: anytime black people or any marginalized people group are erased from the ways we think about God and think about the church and think about what needs to be our future together. Mm -hmm. Whenever those marginalized communities are erased, we will always do what will benefit those in power. Because mm-hmm. we cannot see and say anything about the system of injustice that ails us continually. Yes. That's not just simply me reading theorists. I can go back to the Bible. Nehemiah chapter five. Nehemiah is a brother who is inside of this. Uh, uh, he's in a, uh, uh, in this historical experience of. Of, of colonization, of destruction, where Babylon, they came and took over all the people. He asked the king to go back to his people. And mm-hmm. King says, yes, he gets to the, he gets to the place in, in chapter five where he's finally back home. Mm-hmm. And what he says is he looks around and he sees that his people are living in a situation in a system where they, they are that the taxes are, 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 are increasing. Mm-hmm. There's policies and practice put in place that mm-hmm. that is exploiting them and taking their money. And they are in a place where they are distressed. And Nehemiah blessed me with this. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah, the Bible writes that Nehemiah said that as he thought, as he looked at what was going around, I think this is mm-hmm. verse 13, Around mm-hmm. 10, 11, 12, 13. As he looked at where he was, he looked at the situation that was going on. He saw, it. he thought about it. And the Bible says he was angry. Mm-hmm. That same Hebrew word is the same Greek word, the same connotation, the same gesturing when the Bible says that Jesus looked at the people who were die a shepherd and had compassion. That mm-hmm. same word is used that, that his anger mm-hmm. what came from a deep place within inside of him because mm-hmm. he saw what was happening to his people yeah. and he saw what was going on and something needed to change. Yeah. And whenever we erase you know, we, we if we're race, we won't be angry because we don't have anything to be angry about. But mm-hmm. if we are angry, then I think we need to do, you know, what, what Cone did and what Katie Kennedy did and what Baldwin did. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out, you know, there, at some point and I had to figure this out, you know, and I and I failed at this tremendously. I was so angry with white people that I still centered them. It's mm. one thing to be angry. Yeah. It's another thing to to whiteness in our anger. Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think when we talk about these experiences, uh, I'm reminded of <clears throat> this video that went viral um, of uh, Pastor Rod Parsley. Mm-hmm. And this was obviously during the Trump presidency when people were talking about um, removing Confederate um, statues, statues of Confederate soldiers, and we've been having this conversation for a while. Uh, America's a very strange place and you have you know statues to military folks who led a revolt against the country (laughs) who were traitors Mm. against the united Mm. states who were also fighting um to keep black folks enslaved Mm. um and, and then you have these monuments to these people like it's just i mean it would be like going to germany and seeing statues of like nazis Yep. like facts. You you won't see that there, right? They're in facts. the museum somewhere, facts. but you're never going to see that because these aren't these are not people to be celebrated, right? In in that mm-hmm. in any way. So, <clears throat> Parley was talking about the situation where we're talking about the founders of the country and people and he was basically saying, you know, that even though the founders were slaveholders, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that they were still good people, even though the framers mm-hmm. of the Constitution you know, berated and owned people of African descent, they were still, there was something redemptive about these folks. He was still romanticizing it. So I posted Thanks. a video <clears throat> on Instagram to to address that. And we just, we have to stop having this romanticization um, and the sanitizing of our history. We have to have real mm. honest conversation. It's like any situation. You use the word, like it. what's ailing us. Mm-hmm. Earlier. And when we think about what's happening into someone physically, if you're having a, a, a physical challenge, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that something is wrong. Facts. And then you're going to go to a doctor, hopefully, and your doctor's going to make an assessment of what's going on with you. What the problem actually is before he can give you what's going to help you get better, right? Some type Mm -hmm. of treatment, some type of medication. The problem is that we don't want to have white folks, many white people in this country don't want to have an honest conversation about how we got here. Thanks. Right. What is happening in the country today is a culmination of things that have been happening for hundreds of years. 100%. We didn't just wake up and in an America was as it is. Right. So you Fair. have to deal with the history. You have to deal with stories that created the moments that we're dealing with right now. And the tension that we're seeing right now is people pushing back against, you know, not wanting to have those conversations. Fair. Like, don't take the statues down. Why not? hmm right because that, that means we gotta have a conversation about why we should why we shouldn't why why are these statues up in the first place so 100%. we're talking about how we exist um in this world and we talk in this country i should say and what that actually means and i think about people in faith spaces like paula white and uh some of the other folks mm-hmm. who not just rob parsley as well not just pastored black folks Um, Preached to black folks, but Mm -hmm. made a lot of money off black people.
1: Oh, my goodness. Millions millions of of dollars. And
0: and to to then not, not, well, it's it's different. Like, it's not just being kind of apathetic and and in the middle. It's literally aligning with a person in Trump who is a racist, xenophobe, sexist, like clearly. And to I don't know, didn't suggest not just that. This is the thing that was really strange about it. It wasn't just like, well, he's he's Republican policy kind of thing. White evangelicals were going so far as to say that God chose this person, Thanks. that God anointed him to be, like, it was the most insane thing, one of the most insane things I had heard. Mm-hmm. And, and character all of a sudden didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Now, it mattered when Clinton had a situation with Monica Lewinsky, but mm-hmm. now all of a sudden character doesn't matter anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. It mattered when Barack Obama wore a tan suit, and that was a whole mm-hmm. news story. But it doesn't matter now when this person is accused of sexual assault and mm-hmm. lies continuously, like none of those things seem to matter. So mm-hmm. I-, I think that when you're talking about um understanding where we are, seeing where we are, pushing back against it, but not letting the anger be the center of be centered for you what does that look like for you
1: yeah so for me that meant that like when, when i left that space like i had to i had to take on a better christianity like i had to relearn my history so when i left that space me and my wife it was almost like 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 those in um who, who are muslim when when they take the yearly hajj but mm-hmm. they go to the sacred space, mm-hmm. they go to the space. It, it is a space of, of sacred togetherness. It is a space where they're connected to the history. They're mm-hmm. connected to their sacred story. Mm-hmm. They, they, they kind of repurify themselves to go back out into the world, to, mm-hmm. to, to embrace the fullness of what it means to be Muslim mm-hmm. in the world. So for me, my Hajj was going to the National Museum of African American Arts, History and Culture. <laughs> it was literally like legit, like mm-hmm. we went there to DC, and when, when, it, for me, it was a, a very spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. It was as if like, I was trying to, uh, like Toni Morrison, in her 1974, um, uh, New York times a- a article, she uses this language this I thought was beautiful. She said, it's like growing up black one more time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she was talking about going back home the context of that essay was she was talking about black people telling their own stories and her experience of going back home to these places and Mm -hmm. listening to these stories and being transformed by them and being shaped by them and Mm -hmm. allowing those stories to shape how she approached her writing and her literature Mm -hmm. she said it was like growing up black one more time Mm -hmm. and when I went to this museum and going to the first uh level and then going to each level and going to each level and seeing the multitude of 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 experiences of black folk and blackness and just seeing the ways in which you know we we were not just simply uh a people who resisted whiteness or centered whiteness or were were there to save white people uh like many of the you know horror films do for us if yeah. we ain't there to be spiritual folk in horror films we're there to save white people yeah. well this museum told a different story we're not just yeah. simply people who are just simply spiritual or to save other people or to teach them but Mm -hmm. we are people who made something of ourselves in some Mm -hmm. sense going into this space is going back into what kevin kwashi calls the black world Mm -hmm. it is going into black world making the ways in which we did our hair and the ways in which we made art and dance and made music Mm -hmm. and the ways in which we created books that would teach black people where to go when they were traveling and they couldn't get into places yeah the game and where yeah, and where we where we made something of our religions that we brought from Africa, and how even that 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 the d- divine spirit that was bound to dancing within the ring, the ring mm-hmm. shout is reminiscent of the click track when the click yes. track goes and and the yes. phrase break happens. Yes. That is the expression of Africa. That yes. is Africa fun first and fundamental. And this is why, like, this is why it's so. Just totally dead. Audaz- just just so disrespectful of white people to shout and and shout to click traps and, st- and and literally like like vote against us like it's disrespectful. That ain't the spirit, you know. Like, like,
0: no, that that po- the- but I, I, I think I think I think that. <laughs> The, that's why those those educational moments are so important. I've been to the museum a couple of yeah, times facts. and I, I need to go again because there's just so much to consume. Oh me too. But I think that we we have not been through white institutions, we've not been taught our history, right? Mm-hmm. And so it I think it is incumbent upon us in many ways to do that. That's why like my HBCU experience was incredible because like something as simple as um one of my world history teachers was, taught me about taught us about the Dogon, right? Which is a, a mm. group of people in West Africa. Who studied Sirius B, constellation of stars, before there were uh, telescopes or microscopes, or mm-hmm. telescopes rather, telescopes, and 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 to think that they were telling these stories to the, to Jesuit white Jesuit priests who were coming mm-hmm. down, they were like, how how can you do this? You don't even have the instruments and 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 the 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 ways in which our people historically have always been innovators and creators uh, in whatever situation they were in. Again, you talk about the book or the green book, right? Mm-hmm. And some people mm-hmm. may know about it, but, but the fact, well, here's, there's two parts to that. The fact that we live in a country <laughs> where black folks like who lived here, citizens, taxpayers, mm-hmm. couldn't go in certain restaurants or hotels or bars or beauty shops or wherever in, in the South um, is, Infuriating for me, right? Mm-hmm. But black people were creative enough to create a book, the green book, to give mm-hmm. to the travelers who were mm-hmm. coming down South and say, oh, hey, here's where you can stay, here's green where you can't Here's where you can sleep. This is places you can go. Because uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So we just we've mm-hmm. always been adaptive people, right? And and made it work in whatever facts. way we had to, um, we shouldn't have to do those things, but when you know we were presented with certain challenges, we always overcame them. And I think that's the one. That's why when we talk about shouting and click tracks and yeah, and, and gospel music and and R and B and hip hop and jazz and ragtime and whatever Facts. it is, like all of these are, all these things are creations of black people in their black expression. There is no Facts. culture in America without black folks. There is no oh, music. In america without black people like every yeah, genre maybe except like hard rock we created yeah. all of them right. and so i do think that it is important for us to to center ourselves mm-hmm. in our own creation our own expressions and yes. applaud them and celebrate yes. them and understand the value of what we bring to Literally. the table right? oh my goodness I, um, yes
1: that's been, so good bro and 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 that you say you know what are you like like Like, how am I doing that, bro? It's for me, particularly as a writer, as a preacher, as a thinker Mm -hmm. and as a public voice, like I want people when they, when they, when they come in contact with whatever work that I do, like, I want to be a part of this long tradition. Um, like my boy, Kiese, my brother, Kiese Layman who wrote heavy, he would say like, Yo, black people, like this, black people have been innovators and imaginers, you know, this kind of whole idea, like you were saying, you know, of innovation and imagination mm-hmm. uh, uh, or, or whatnot. I wanna be a part of the people that like innovate and imagine something different for us, tied to a long tradition of black people who like take seriously our black lives and our black worlds as something to be loved, embraced, studied and 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 perform so like mm-hmm. you know as a theologian i don't just simply want to you know look at black people or black life or black literature or black art or images of black folk just simply as something that's good like i want to look at it as something that's sacred You know, as Mm. we as people, we 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 accept historically, we accept, okay. there's there's Nehemiah, there's Isaiah, there's Daniel, there's Hosea. And Mm -hmm. we receive these people's names and we receive their traditions as divine revelation to teach us something about life and teach Mm -hmm. us something about what we should embrace and teach us something about the values that we should embody and teach us something about the God that we want to encounter and teach us something about the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. and for me I want to do the same thing I want to receive James Brown and and what does James Brown have to say or <laughs> Marvin Gaye, what yes. is Nikki Giovanni or Tony K. Bambara or Rita Dove or Malcolm X or Martin Luther yeah. King or James Baldwin yeah. I want to say how what does it mean to look at these black folk not as heroes because mm-hmm. people in the Bible ain't heroes but to look at their lives as something of meaning of value that can teach me something about God, about about the world, about myself And I want to imagine what it means to take those stories and innovate the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So I want to look at contemporary black literature, contemporary black art, contemporary Mm -hmm. black performance Mm -hmm. and say, like, this is part of like the theater of blackness. And Mm -hmm. in this theater of blackness, God is at work. Mm -hmm. We are at work. And there's something beautiful happening in the midst of these moments.
0: Mm -hmm. Man, that's. Woo that's incredible like I have, this this conversation is as i mean it's 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 rich but it's also been um emotional for me in at moments because i really do love um black people and the history of black folks and the ways mm-hmm. that we you know continue to express ourselves and and having to deconstruct the anti-blackness that that we're taught um you know overtly or or Mm -hmm. or or in in more subtle ways is something that i think that we all have to to we all should be working towards right Mm -hmm. because i do think that many times we don't understand it and i see people um you know creating videos and videos going viral and such people saying things and doing things and I look at it sometimes. I'm just like, man, they just, if you only understood who you are, if you Mm. only understood your, your heritage, if you only understood Mm. your value as a human being, Mm. but as a black person on this planet, um, I just think it would, it would change how people conducted themselves and, Mm. and what they thought of themselves and, and, and what they feel like they can contribute, um, or should contribute you know to to their mm. to, to life and the world with their, the time they have on the planet mm. um we have we have so much um history um i i've, I've had the opportunity to, to to travel been really fortunate in that way and um i learned a lot when i went to i took my nephews on the trip cross country in 2018 mm. um and we were in south carolina and i was with some friends there in charleston who really took us around and showed us a lot of the history there mm. and and my friend said something that was that was really jarring to me he said every beautiful place in charleston has a dark history mm. and so we would show me all these beautiful you know spaces and then talk about the ways in which black people were massacred or murdered or hung or buried without mm. markers or you know mm. the whole nine and i think the mm-hmm. fact again that when we look at our story from africa to here um what that looks like what that means there is so much value there and and in certain places i, I had the opportunity to go to brazil another place to learn in bahia and there's so much african retention there dances mm. and culture and wardrobe and like, like all these things. And I was just, I was overwhelmed by how much, in spite of everything that was done to us, Mm -hmm. to strip us of everything that we are, how those things were so many, so many of those things were so embedded in our DNA Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that you couldn't beat it out of us, right? Mm -hmm. You you couldn't, there's nothing you could do that's happened to us historically that can rid us of all of those things. So that's why mm. I, we talk about these expressions. When we talk about African retention, when you talk about the things that um, I feel like Cone and Baldwin and Toni Morrison and Dr. King and Malcolm X were trying to get us to see mm. about ourselves is the mm. value of who we are as a people. Right. And that we, we should be resistant to the ways in which white supremacy wants to reshape us, Mm, wants to mm -hmm. tell us that who you are intrinsically is not valuable. Mm, You need to be like this, white is right. Right. Mm. And we need to be intentionally pushing back against that idea constantly Mm. and embracing Mm. who we are and who we have been historically. I want, Mm. I want to just talk about one other thing before we we close out. This has been, and we gotta have you back to do part two for sure. Um, but when you talk about in your in your experience, you talked about how it affected you and your family and and the like. Um, and I, I'm sure you saw m- microaggressions and, and probably even overt racism mm-hmm. in your experience. But I want to ask you about your your perspective on white, what I call racism. <laughs> masquerading as Christianity in white evangelical spaces.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, what 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 do you think about that? Do you think like that's I, a thing?
1: No, I, I no no. It's, I know it's a thing. Uh, is the the factual thing is it, it is definitely a thing. And I like my first immediate like like when I hear racism masquerade as Christianity, especially in white spaces. I mean, I hear it wrapped up in how they talk about music. You know, mm. whose who's, who's practices are, are worth like embracing or like you were saying earlier, whose practices, whose worship practices make you feel more, quote unquote, in tune with the spirit or spirit or whatever, like yeah. or, or who's preaching
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, is 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 considered, quote unquote, si- solid, solid, mm. whose thinkers are considered worth studying and and worth actually centering, not just simply having a part of the curriculum as, as a secondary reading, but as primary about how we name, see, and act within the world. You
0: sound like some black friends of mine who still talk like that about white theologians. Oh yes. It's, and it's so disturbing to me. Yes. That's how they. That's how they talk about them. They're like, well, this person, you know, they're a solid teacher and they're this. And I'm just like, yeah, but they're not talking about a gospel that would liberate you as a black person. They still talk about ways that marginalize women and queer people, and like they're mm-hmm. not inclusive of all humanity. Yeah, facts, facts. Like, but they don't have to be, and,
1: and they don't have to be in, in their mind because in their mind they're convinced that their way is orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever, mm-hmm. whenever ideology—wait, so let, pause.
0: Their way is orthodoxy. Can you break that down for the listeners, viewers?
1: Yes. Okay. So, their ways. When, when people talk in the language of orthodoxy, they they, they talk it's simply res, like receive tradition. What tradition mm-hmm. is right, mm-hmm. or, or orthodoxy is, is is in some sense the etymology. If I'm not mistaken, is the standard. Uh, or or, or the test, like like this is the standard for what is good, for what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. So orthodoxy is just simply a received tradition of a quote-unquote standard Mm -hmm. that we believe to be right, that Mm -hmm. everybody else is tested against. So they believe that their tradition and their way of thinking Mm -hmm. is God's way of thinking. Yes, that, that, that they have risen their level of thinking to divine. It, mm-hmm. it is, it is received as divine in the world and not just a tradition. It is received mm-hmm. as the tradition. So yes. what tends, what tends to happen is instead of seeing white theology as a contextualized theology coming out of a certain experience in the world, mm-hmm. they see it as normal. Instead mm-hmm. of seeing the white church as the white church, they just called it church. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing white worship as white worship, they called it black music and CCM, mm-hmm. Christian contemporary. So think about this. This is gospel, black gospel. This <laughs> is Christian, Christian contemporary music, yes. Christian, yes. like that, that is, that is not an accident. Mm-hmm. But Christian contemporary music that to name it that is to say that this is the standard, yes, what is judged by Christian. Yeah. Like they don't call Christian contemporary music gospel.
0: Right. Like don't.
1: they named it this. Yes. They named it that. Yeah. Like like and, and things like that. And so uh, uh, when I think about when I think about racism masqueraded as as, as Christianity, I think about that as the, 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 those realities that white Christians think that there are traditions, their theologians, their thinkers, their books, their ways of thinking are the norm
2: mm-hmm. when,
1: in, when in actuality it's actually an ideology. Mm-hmm. And whenever an ideology rises to the level of the, of religion it mm-hmm. is that much harder to dismantle. Yeah. And it's that much harder to distance yourself from. So yeah. think about this. My family is raised apostolic mm-hmm. to believe that acts two thirty eight is fundamentally right. <laughs> that yeah. that speaking in order to say yeah. that you are Christian, you have to be baptized in Jesus name yeah. and filled with the Holy ghost with the evidence yeah. of speaking, speaking in, tongues. in tongues. Yes. That is ideology. Yes. Based on a particular reading of the Bible. Yes. But when that ideology has Mm -hmm. risen to the level of religion, Mm -hmm. it is that much harder to dismantle and get people to distance themselves from white people (coughs) believe that whiteness is right in the standard. They have done this historically for centuries
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and and believe that they are the norm. Mm -hmm. That is an ideology. And whenever that ideology rises to the level of religion, it's that much harder to dismantle and that much harder to distance from. And Uh, so what we have to do, I think, you know, continually mm -hmm. is to reteach ourselves Mm -hmm. continue to introduce ourselves to our literature, to our theologians, to Mm -hmm. our history, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I I think that's so important. Um, And we can, we can, as we wrap, like I, I, I just saw a piece, um, recently, I forget what publication it was in That's that, that I think maybe the Pew research poll that said about 29% of Americans now don't identify as with any religion. Right. Mm. And there is a precipitous fall (laughs) in membership in, Mm -hmm. in church, but in black church specifically, because I do think that a lot of, um, Gen Zers maybe, and some millennials, have questions that are not being answered and don't see the social issues of the day being addressed in faith spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I often say that it's interesting that the black lives matter movement is the first really movement that I'm aware of that wasn't born out of the black church, civil rights mm-hmm. movement, right? Mm-hmm. Separate. And I think that's telling about where mm-hmm. we are and that we are mm-hmm. inundated with messages about wealth and prosperity and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Um, American capitalism, effectively, mm-hmm. um, but not really talking about the ways that marginalized people, you people's know, um, concerns need to be addressed. And so mm-hmm. I think that people are saying, well, if they're not addressing what's happened to me and I'm like, why would I go? Why am I sitting in this pew? Why am mm-hmm. I coming here, you know, giving my time, energy, and my resources when they're not addressing the things that are actually happening to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that we have to think about that and we have to see ourselves... Um, we have to we want to be in spaces where we feel like people are concerned about what's actually going on in our everyday life right. and so right. i think the fact that we're having these conversations and seeing these things is a testament to the to what you've been discussing in this episode about how our religion even mm-hmm. or religious expressions still in many ways mirror and echo white supremacy which facts. doesn't address the things that are actually happening to us, and I think facts. a lot of the kind of conservative values and ways we think mm-hmm. about things are definitely connected to um, white folks' teachings and telling us what is right, what is wrong, That's what facts. is up, what is down, what is left, That's what is facts. right. <laughs> and That's we facts. have to we have to, to to address that, and we have to have conversations um, that include all people, no matter how they show up in the world. Facts. Um, and even their faith systems. Like, you know, I'm not I tell people often like I'm not evangelical Mm -hmm. and they think, well, oh, not the evangelical church. No, I'm not a person out here who's telling Muslims and Jews and Hindus Mm -hmm. that they're wrong and they're going to hell. Like if that's your faith system, I'm fine with that. Like if that's what you believe, that's cool by me, right? Mm -hmm. Because most of them have the same kind of premise to begin with, right? And that's like loving people, treating people fairly, etc. So I think that we have to be we, we have to rethink in a lot of Black faith spaces like what we're talking about, how mm-hmm. we're addressing these issues, and are we really reaching people where they are? Are we facts. embracing people? Are we creating facts. a space in these sanctuaries where people mm-hmm. feel safe? Because that's what you're supposed to feel in a sanctuary. And if people facts. don't feel safe to show up as they are and know that they're going to be loved and nurtured nurtured and motivated in positive ways then people are like i don't need to be in that space anymore and so we it. have to really thanks. address that as we kind of talk about the ways in which uh white evangelical teaching and, and white supremacy <laughs> come together and thanks. and can really do things that that harm us so thanks. everybody thanks um Man, I even I, I I could talk to you for another hour, but I, I wanna be respectful to our listeners. <laughs> uh Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle by Dante Stewart is a book that you really need to get um and and read. And if you have a book club, it'd be a great topic of discussion for your book club. Um I think if you if you have a, a Bible study group, whatever you got, like people spaces where you're talking about things, mm-hmm. we should address these issues because I do wanna come back at some point and talk about um liberation theology and kind of what that means and facts. people like cone and jeremiah wright and yeah. these people who yeah. really yeah. talked about these things and you know the problems that that can cause for a lot of people even like even yeah, our facts. former president Barack obama oh yes yes <laughs> that's another show for another day but um can you i know hey with, with my, I, I love i love obama but yeah that that was a yeah. whole that's, but that's i love jeremiah thing. wright too
1: yeah, yeah, it was a whole thing. Yeah. And, I,
0: and I understood.
1: Yeah, and it makes me sad for him. The, for who? For Jeremiah Wright. For Jeremiah Wright. You just see where he's at now and just all he's yeah. endured from this country. Yeah. And, and then to be abandoned in so many ways, yeah. you know, by so many people, even the love of people who are close to you, and who support you, oftentimes isn't enough, you know, to. to what to what of Jeremiah
0: do. Wright and any liberation theologist understands is that if you are unwilling to critique the American empire, facts. if you're, if you're unwilling to have an honest conversation about it, then you will most likely become a participant in that system that marginalizes folks. That's facts. And that's facts. the thing that I think that's why things played out the way that they did, mm-hmm. you know, and it is also why um, teaser for another episode why there's been so much critique around barack obama not doing anything specifically for black folks and i've made that critique of Thanks. him as well and Thanks. he's been asked about it um in the last couple of years and his answer was um insufficient for me Thanks. um talked about Thanks. the economy and health care yeah these are things that helped everybody and black people yeah. maybe more but these are not specific things yeah. i'm gonna say this as i close because now i'm having a whole other podcast <laughs> episode when you create laws and policies practices that are targeted and are specifically designed to malign a group of people, then you must create policy specific policy to correct what you have done to that group of people. Facts. There were not water fountains. I'm from Memphis. I'm the first generation of my family born with all my rights. My mother was born in the fifties. Right? Mm. So, my mother grew up in Memphis where there was water fountain. They didn't say black, white, Latino, Asian. They said black and white or Negroes and white. That's what they said. Like black people were forbidden to go into Woolworth. My grandmother tells me a story. My grandmother's 86. And she tells me a story of going to shop downtown in Memphis and how they would have to go into the basement of the department store. Couldn't go upstairs. And, you know, everybody knows the shoots where you put money in if you get the bank they would have the money would go in a chute like in a a little tube and they put it in a chute upstairs and they send your change back downstairs so you Mm -hmm. couldn't go upstairs where the white people were and and when i think about my grandmother who's alive right (laughs) living through that in this country Mm -hmm. and people having these conversations about you know where we are like this is not you know recent um it's really infuriating to me you know Mm -hmm. it's frustrating so I think that when we again when we're talking about uh liberation theology, when we're talking about where we are, when we're talking about where we where we wanna be, um, that we have to be honest about that. How can people find you on social media, follow yeah. you, et cetera?
1: Yeah, yeah. So at uh at Stuart Dante C is is my uh um Hash, whatever the thing called. Handle. <laughs> <That's the hashtag. laughs> uh, it's my yeah. handle on all on all my social medias. But also you can reach me at Dante on my website. Uh I actually uh, am gonna like, you know, I my wife told me I need to go ahead and do it, not been needing to do it. Uh gonna go ahead and kind of start my newsletter back up. Um in mm-hmm. in and, and shouts to James, James Baldwin, the Amen Corner. Yeah. Um just where to just be constant like what I'm reading and and, and kind of some reflections on like the various book and, and black literature that I'm reading and and kind of doing weaving, you know, black literature and and black, black religion, black theology together um in creative forms just to kind of be informative for people to, in, to introduce them to reintroduce them uh, to black life and black literature. So, yeah, that's how people can reach me and I always hit people back. So, yeah,
0: that's great, man. I, it's been a um, privilege, right? Having this yeah. conversation with you, I, I appreciate your insight i appreciate your your openness and your and just being candid about your experience um and i appreciate you talking about where you were and and the ways in which you have evolved and and changed and grown um this has been great and we look forward Mm -hmm. to next time so everybody uh thank you for listening thank you for watching um we will see you on the next episode of perspective right here peace